Hello, and welcome to the Investing on the Go podcast. I'm Chris Sarley, and today we're joined by Rebecca Yang, manager of the elite-rated JP Morgan China Growth and Income Trust. Thanks for joining us today, Rebecca. Thank you, Chris, for having me. That's no problem. Um, to start with, um, obviously, you're based in Hong Kong, as a lot of Chinese equity managers are. Um, perhaps tell us why not China and, and why are people still based outside? Well, Hong Kong is a special administrative region within China. But I think uh, on a serious note, we have always found real benefit to have uh, investment professionals working together. And we currently have a team um, that are based out of different locations, including Hong Kong, Shanghai, Taipei, Singapore, London, and even New York. Um, but at, basically, as China opens up more and more to foreign institutional investors, we have been able to expand our footprint within China, particularly expanding our Shanghai presence. We now have five analysts uh, based out of Shanghai now. Um, not, nevertheless, I think Hong Kong remains a key regional hub. And um, me and Howard, uh, my co-portfolio manager of the trust, we travel very frequently to China. So even during the current difficult times uh, uh, where travel has been made a lot more difficult by COVID, uh, you know, I personally still um, took the pain of the 14 days quarantine and traveled back to China um, end of last year. I'm going to do it uh, shortly in the summer as well. Um, so really, all in all, it's about uh, teamwork mm -hmm. and uh, being based in Hong Kong allow us to do the job as good as, um, you know, doing it inside China. You mentioned there um, sort of Hong Kong. I just wanted to talk about you also have the ability to invest in companies listed in Hong Kong and, and Taiwan. Um, does that give you extra flexibility and what does that look like in terms of the trust? Yes. Um, we are listing location agnostic. Mm. Uh, what I mean is that as long as um, it's a Chinese company or company that generates business or revenue sources from China, um, we're interested to invest. And being able to invest in markets like Hong Kong, Taiwan, or in the US uh, gives us a lot more flexibility because some of the you know some of the best in class companies in China, um, they are not available uh, onshore. So, for example, um, the major Chinese internet companies like Alibaba, Tencent, they're all listed either in Hong Kong or in the U.S. Similarly, you know, if you think about the largest China's largest logic chip maker, um, it's listed in Taiwan. So having that flexibility basically gives us a complete access to um, all the investable universe. Okay. Um, on to the investable universe, up to 50% of the trust can be invested in A shares now. Could you maybe just explain to the listeners what they are and briefly what the risks mm -hmm. and rewards are for investors? Yes. A shares is basically, um, basically stands for China's onshore equity markets. Um, and these are the stock exchange uh, uh, in Shanghai and Shenzhen. Now, um, just a bit of background information. Um, the China's onshore equity market has been 
pretty much closed to foreign investors a decade ago, but it's now gradually opened up. And the pace of open up has accelerated more or less from five years ago. Nowadays, if you're a foreign investor, particularly institutional investor, you can have access to uh, China's onshore market uh, via uh, a few different uh, vehicles. Now, the real benefits of having uh, of investing in Asia are, um, you know, comes from a few areas. So first and foremost, it is a very wide and deep market. You know, there are over 3,000 listed companies uh, onshore in, in China A, and uh, a lot of them are very liquid. So it's a, it's a deep and a big market, which allows us to, you know, pick and choose and identify interesting bottom-up stock ideas. Uh, the second benefit of having of investing A shares is basically comes from the low correlation uh, between the A share universe and the offshore um, equities. Um, so what this allows us to do is to further enhance the return without taking on additional risks. Now, I think for investors, um, the risk area that they need to keep an eye on comes from the fact that um, the Chinese Asia market is still a relatively young and immature market. Um, it's very retail dominated. Um, so naturally it comes with a lot of volatility. But you know, from our perspective, volatility uh, could be your friend if you're a long-term investors because it actually creates interesting uh, uh, buying and selling op opportunities. So it's an additional source of alpha for, for our investors. Um, I wanted to touch on a sort of quartet of structural themes that are running through the portfolio, um, namely technology, automation, healthcare and consumption. Um, could we maybe just take a sort of moment on each one in turn and maybe just talk me through those themes, please? Yeah. Um, now, let me start with technology first. I think, you know, from a big picture, um, it all comes down to the fact that um, China wants a more sustainable and higher quality growth uh, from the top down level. And when it comes to the company level, it means that the growth uh, should be incrementally uh, be R&D driven. What we have seen over the last decade or so is that a lot of Chinese companies are moving up the value chain. So say 20 years ago, when, when you talk about made in China, things come to um, people's mind are clothes, textiles and toys and et cetera. Um, I think, you know, maybe 10 years ago, when we think about made in China, it's more about electronics, your laptops and smartphones, et cetera. And I think these days, um, you know, uh, we're seeing uh, a lot other sort of subsectors within technology where Chinese companies are becoming more competitive on a global basis. So for example, um, electric vehicle batteries, solar energies, big data and artificial intelligence, et cetera, et cetera. So I think, you know, technology for us is really, uh, is, a, is a wild, it's a, it's a big sector where we can find a lot of interesting Chinese companies that are uh, increasingly uh, 
moving up the value chain and gaining market share on a global basis. Now, I think uh, automation and healthcare, I'll probably lump them together because they are very much driven by the same growth drivers, which is, you know, a Chinese population are aging. Uh, So people are spending more on healthcare, but at the same time, um, they need more automation in factories. At the same time, you know, Chinese companies are becoming more and more innovative in their respective fields. Take healthcare as an example. We're seeing, you know, Chinese pharmaceutical companies just within the last couple of years are now uh, developing some of the first in class or best in class drugs on a global scale. They're now even being able to out license uh, a lot of these uh, drug candidates to global farmers. Um, so it's about it's both about top down tailwinds as well as uh, individual company stories. Um, lastly, uh, consumption. Again, this is a very straightforward story from our perspective. Along with Chinese uh, GDP growth, um, the Chinese households are getting richer and as their income level increases they would like to have you know they would like to buy better products enjoy better services so it's all about consumption upgrade and moving towards better quality and uh, better quality products and services um we hear a lot about government intervention on the news just recently we've had the chinese take a hard line on cryptocurrencies personal data collected by social media companies as examples um, even Tesla cars being banned in, in government car parks due to fears over the cameras and stuff. Um, in practice, how much interference is there actually in your view? And, and do you have to really navigate that in terms of your investments? I think in practice, dealing with government regulations mm-hmm. has always been an integral part of you know, doing investment in China. Let's just make this clear. Um, but when it comes down to um, the government regulations impact on our investment process. It's actually, uh, for most of the time, um, not conflicting. I.e., uh, if you look at the government's agenda, it's actually very much in line uh, with our um, focus on ESG, i.e. environmental, social and governance. I think that what government cares about uh, is to make sure that the companies don't take shortcuts or, you know, build a business by um, taking advantage of others. So, for example, if you're a financial company, don't make money by doing regulatory arbitrage. If you're a manufacturing, uh, don't make profit from mistreating your labors or by polluting the environment. And uh, if you're a so-called platform companies or consumer-facing companies, don't misuse your market power against the consumers. So I think if we look at most of the things, um, they are not contradicting to our own investment belief. So I would say, you know, it is something that we have to constantly keep in mind and navigate through from time to time. But I don't think China is anything different from a lot of the economy in that in that perspective. Another concern of the government at the moment is the sort of rising or even soaring commodity prices. 
Um, and I believe in the, the threat of inflation is starting to sort of stifle growth. Are you concerned about the threat of inflation? And, and just briefly also, obviously, um, commodities, perhaps now versus 20 years ago with the growth of consumer, is that as big a concern? Maybe, maybe just talk us through that as well. The answer is actually yes and no. Uh, I would say on a short-term basis, yes, we are seeing inflation being a notable risk. Uh, longer term, I am uh, less concerned. Um, I think if you look at short term, clearly um, the current commodity price inflation has been driven by you know, extremely low base, um, as well as a, a very strong synchronized global economy, uh, particularly in key uh, economies. This is also coupled with the fact that this is the first year of China's carbon neutral plan. So um, we have been seeing uh, quite a lot of measures in controlling energy consumption, which, which leads to an impact on supply. This also feeds into the current commodity uh, inflation. Um, so when we look at the companies that we invest into, clearly you know, we have pretty good confidence that those are companies that have strong pricing power um, that can ultimately pass through majority, if not all, of the cost inflations. But, you know, we have to admit that in most of the cases, such cost pass-through needs to take time, um, i.e. in short term, we could see some margin pressure coming from these raw material price inflations. Um, on a long-term basis, really, I think um, the argument for a new bull market of commodity is actually just it's just not there. Um, we all know that China is the biggest uh, consumer of uh, commodities, and you know, from my point of view, I think it's pretty clear that China is uh, now moving away from a capital and investment intensive growth model to a more capital light but human capital heavy type of growth model. So uh, from that perspective, I think we are unlikely to see another big bull market for commodity prices. And just lastly, um, you've recently added an income element to the trust. Is that sort of an organic offshoot of what you're already doing or does it actually affect the types of companies you're investing in? Yes, um, the board last year has made the decision to pay a regular quarterly dividend Mm -hmm. um, this provides the trust investors a constant income stream, uh, which also differentiates JP Morgan uh, China Growth Income from um, you know, a lot of the other um, product offerings on the market. Uh, that mm -hmm. said, the dividend will be paid uh, mostly out of capital gains. So it doesn't really impact um, the way that we invest and will we'll continue to be focused on uh, secular growth. That's great, Rebecca. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And if you'd like to learn more about the JP Morgan China Growth and Income Trust, please visit fundcaliber.com. And while you're there, remember to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast. Please remember, we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these stocks at your time of listening.